Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dawson D Show, and you're tuning into episode 166 with a real fascinating guest. Today's guest is the absolute king of Melbourne nightlife. He's an owner in some of Melbourne's most established venues like the Emerson and Riviera, as well as some of the biggest festivals like Ultra and Good Things. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Trav Gretsch. Trav is about to share his unique story with you. From being a promoter at Chase's nightclub and earning $1 to $2 per person that used his name, to owning and operating some of the biggest venues and festivals here in Australia, this is a true rags to riches story. But hearing what really goes on behind the scenes and his insane lifestyle is really what will blow you away. Trav also shares some of the most incredible stories of dealing with Drake, Miley Cyrus and some of the wealthiest businessmen in the country to ensure that they have an unforgettable experience. We hear about the not so glamorous side of the job too, like when people go too hard at a venue that leads to negative press, dealing with intoxicated patrons that causes issues and of course the effect the lockdowns had. Plus, you'll hear the mind-blowing logistics that go into putting on a festival, including the crazy money spent and what happens if an artist pulls out. As always, guys, remember to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a new episode of the show. And if you could leave a five-star review, it would mean the world to us as it really goes a long way to helping us. But without further ado, let's get into it with the king of the party scene, Trav Gretsch. All right, Doss, this interview is going to be like none we've had before. I've got a funny feeling about that. But Trav Gretsch, welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Feeling, uh, feeling good back from Japan? Yeah, yeah, feeling refreshed, feeling good. My uh, tan is uh, <laughs> lingering away from uh, post-Europe. but um, Not from where we're sitting, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it's glowing <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's the lighting and makeup. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah no, nah, feeling good, feeling refreshed. Uh, ready for a big summer, I think. I yeah. think uh, just getting the buzz from last week with the grand final, I think the streets were mayhem. And um, I think hospitality is ready for a big year, mm. big summer, especially post-COVID. I think, yeah, a lot of people are excited and ready to uh, double down and go hard and that's what we're going to do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to dive into all of that over the next hour or so. And of course, the listeners would have heard a little bit about your background. But to kick us off, tell us currently the places that you actually own or co-own or founder in. or Basically, at- what, what slice of the pie you've currently got? Which, which ones he's not? Yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's doing everything. He's everywhere in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. So obviously, um, there's a few partners with everything that we kind of do. And obviously, you know, there's a big group and what we kind of do. But I guess if you want to look at what comes under the banner and whether it's ownership or partnership or, you know, we're all working together. There's obviously the Emerson, mm-hmm. which is obviously pumping and flying at the moment. Um, there's Electric. Uh, we've just taken over Riva, which is now called Riviera Beach Club in St Kilda. From that as well, we've got the Rossi Bar, which is the restaurant in, in Chapel Street. We've got the Northcote Theatre in Northcote, obviously. It's which a good is, spot. Yeah, mm, probably yeah. used for bands, 1500 capacity, awesome venue. And then obviously we've got like some summer events coming up at Crowell Castle down in Ballarat, which is going to be our like makeshift kind of like different area of like, you know, Halloween parties, Christmas, we're doing Oktoberfest. Nice. It's purely a castle, like so managing that. And then, wow. yeah, so there's a few few things in the pipeline on some other venues and ventures, but yeah, I guess they're the kind of main ones where I guess you'll see me out at the moment on Saturday and Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> Keen to hear, I don't know you mentioned a little bit just off air then, but I mean the backstory of all this to, to getting to where you are, it all starts with you being a person that enjoyed going out. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I just um, loved going out, loved the music. I yeah. never knew like there was a whole behind the scenes stuff of what goes on to make an event work or a regular Saturday night nightclub. I thought it was open the doors, put a DJ on and people just went out. <laughs> yeah. But I guess nowadays, you know, with marketing and this and that and what goes on to kind of put a show on and, you know, even just the staff, you know, the morale and keeping managers and bartenders up and, you know, bussies. It's just like, you know, trying to find the right team to kind of make the whole 360 dynamic work. Yeah, I guess for me it was just um, going out to Chase's. was there every Saturday night. It was my first nightclub. Fell friends with the owner, Martha, 
who um, everybody thought was my mum. Um, <laughs> everyone still calls her, you know, my mum. And like leading in, you know, every you know, Saturday nights that people got knocked back, people were like calling me up saying, your mum's not letting me in, you know. You, <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, but yeah, she kind of gave me my little foot in the door. And, you know, we're still best of friends now. And, you know, it was just like, you know, there was no MySpace, there was no social media. It was literally write your name on a card, hand it out to people and, yeah, just get my guest list going from there and use Trav's guest list. And, you know, it was just like it was awesome because I had that opportunity to go to the front door, let people in from the front rope and, felt, you know, there was a line down felt the street. Felt like the king. Yeah. That, that, that definitely would have worked, I think, yeah. yeah. So I had my little black book and my old 32 Nokia 3210 <laughs> and uh, it was just, um, yeah, it was go time from there. It's amazing. So we mentioned to you off air that a former guest of the show actually passed on your contact details, Zed in the Sheet. Uh, yeah. So we better give him a quick shout out yeah, early Zed. on. So he talked to us a little bit about when he first came to Australia he was outside these nightclubs actually selling hot dogs yeah. that's his story so he was hustling but so were you talk to us about your hustle in those days yeah I mean like it was a different kind of hustle I mean every week I was basically handing out my name on cars you know in the surrounding areas putting flies on windscreens you know calling people and getting people's names and coming to the club on a Saturday because I really didn't have any income or money to like. So, you know. so sorry, what was in it for you then? Do you get paid? $2 per- a person. Right. Okay. So yeah, one to $2 a person now, like obviously it's a lot different with <laughs> people wanting retainers and host deals and all that. But um, it was literally like, here's some drink cards and get paid $2 a person. And I've, right. you know, if I bring in a hundred people, it was 200 bucks. And if I bring in 20 people, it was whatever it was. And then basically it was cash money. And then, you know, that kind of like got over for 200 became 400 and, you know, 400 became 500 and little bonuses here and there. And, you know, I actually had to bring my parents in because they thought I was a drug dealer because they didn't know like how, like old school (laughs) wogs. Yeah. Like how are you making this kind of cash money from one night? So I had to bring my mum and dad in to meet Martha and like, Hey, this is what goes on. This is what Trav does. Legit. Legit. Like, you know, this is how he's making kind of, you know, four or 500 bucks a night and, you know, just, but you know, being with old school wog parents, they're like, what's going on here? Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. you're going out all hours of the night and coming home and, and I'm like, this is it. This is, you know, and then kind of found my path kind of through that and kind of learnt, you know, there's there's a way to kind of make money. And then I did a um, dual diploma in event and venue management through a TAFE course and I did like a music business degree as well just to see what I can kind of dabble into as well. But I think with this kind of industry, it's it's really like hands-on and like learning from experience. So do you reckon from afar, a lot of people do look at someone like yourself who he just walks in and he just gets to host and looking after people, it's easy, but clearly it's not. Can you maybe give us a bit of detail around, you know, the extremities of what actually goes on to look after guests and get people there? Yeah. I mean, like we look, we look after a lot of high end guests, whether it's artists, celebrities, uh, high end clients with wealth income or someone that wants to kind of come through. So like. It's, it's a seven days a week job, like, you know, it's not nine to five. You know, mm. my phone rings at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, especially when we've got major events or shows or people need tickets or whatever it is, and you just got to be on. You know, you're competing against other people as well. So if you miss that phone call or you miss that email from an agent or whatever it is, you're missing, you know, that opportunity or they'll just go somewhere else. You know, especially with these guys that want everything now on the higher end VIP clients kind of stuff, they just want, I want the table, I want this, like, you got to be on and got to make it happen yeah. so you know we have a full team that looks after things you know seven days a week yeah so typically if somebody's coming out you mentioned off air i think you mentioned drake miley cyrus these kind of real big operators how does this process work do they say hey we're coming to australia we're going to be in melbourne we're looking for like do their people say we need a place to go post concert or post yeah. this and then if they're ringing you you get first bite of the cherry and you have to explain what you can give them that other other clubs won't. Is yeah, that definitely. I mean, like the Drake one was through um, through Joni and Elusive when we did it when I was based in Sydney and when I was doing Marquee. But that was like a really long negotiation. Obviously, has a relationship with the US clubs and all that. But it was like 
really long negotiation. And then it's like, all right, it's all about the money to first off to start off with just to get them to do a hosted appearance. And then it's like, all right, cool. Well, after they agree, it's like security walkthroughs. Where is he going to sit? Where is he going to walk through? Where's his staff? Who's doing right. the drinks? Like, what's got, these guys are just high and only a certain amount of people can be in a back room. Who's making the drinks? Like photography, video, entrances, back doors, you know, name it. Same as Miley, you know, when she came through, she was like awesome, you know, like took her to dinner in the casino. Um, but it's like, like these guys live a crazy life. Like, yeah. you know, when I say like, I've never experienced like paparazzi, like it's just nuts. Like you're walking through paparazzi everywhere. I'm like, I don't know how these people wake up and do their life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, people think it's glamorous, but when you've got photography, video people, people screaming at you and you're just walking through, I'm like, imagine this, 365 days a year, seven yeah. days a week, you know, it just, it's just, it's just crazy. But doing someone like Drake, that was cool as, Molly Cyrus with you, Kevin Hart, but they've all got their own ways on doing things with their team, procedures in place. And it's like, well, if you want to do it, it's got to be done this way. So it seems like there's so many facets to what you do because you obviously got like you just detailing there that's it's a real promotional aspect of your job you know how to to promote big names get them involved to promoting a certain brand or place but then you're also an owner or and, and founder of well, let's say just ultra festival then you're yep. an owner co-owner of pubs like there's so many different parts of of what you do so how do you actually juggle it all and i know it might sound like a really <laughs> silly question but going from role to role and knowing you know, what you have to do here and there. Like, it just seems like your phone must just never stop. And I know you mentioned that, but like, how do you balance it all? Yeah, I think it's just, um, I do work a lot, obviously. Your, like, your poor wife. Yeah. <laughs> she gets involved, or I get her yeah. involved. But um, yeah, like, obviously something like Ultra, it's really like a six-month campaign. Like, we're getting ready to launch in a couple of weeks' time for April next year. So it's like a six-month campaign. But, you know, give you guys an exclusive, we are going to expand that to another state um Ooh. next year so obviously we've done melbourne the last year this year we did twenty thousand tickets we are venturing off to um another state which is exciting for us congrats but, um, it's massive yeah, that is yeah so it's, no one's heard about it yet oh, oh yeah, yes, yes. yes. So we're very so, excited yeah but um yeah we're going to be launching that in a couple of weeks time but it's just it's, it's all systems go on that kind of stuff um you know we've got a good team that handles everything in place when i say like working with ultra it's like working with mcdonald's like it's a franchise but there's a certain person within every department that sure. we kind of work for we oversee all the channels, all the artist negotiations, and then we kind of palm on to the production team, to the marketing team and everything and so forth. So, yeah, it's exciting. And Ultra's like, I guess, my baby. I guess, like, that's the one thing I get, like, I get most excited about on seeing that. It's the biggest production. It's the biggest detail. We do table service, which which is not existent at a music festival. Like, wow, yeah. $20,000, $30,000 tables. How for, does that work? We just make it work, eh? We just... <laughs> What an answer. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we set it up. We've got a back-end system. Wow. We work with a great team who just facilitates table service at a music festival. It's not just standing. It's not just a VIP ticket. You know, we're selling tables 30, 40. I think two years ago, three years ago, you know, we had a couple of people buying at 50 grand a table. Wow. It was just this one guy, two dudes, a bunch of girls, helicopter in. It's Yeah, we had to stop filming because of the drones and all that when the helicopter was landing at Flemington. But that's the kind of wealth and kind of experience that we, we want to try and target as well. You know, we want to try and separate ourselves just from a different music experience, not just, you know, DJs and shows or whatever it is. But we really want to try and give an element. And I think that's where Ultra kind of works really well. It's all about the, you know, from when you're walking in, it's the banners, the signs, the dances, the entertainment, the production and the feel that, you know, we'd love to give. And that's what we try to do at even our regular club nights. Like you look at Electric, it's the swinging yeah. of the lamps, you know, it's the shades, it's the music, it's the atmosphere, it's the flare tenders, it's the host, it's the way the bartenders kind of carry themselves as well. It's all those one percenters 
kind of makes us a little bit different mm. from everybody else. And I guess this is the attention to detail that we kind of look at and go, all right, well, what worked, what didn't work? And we kind of look at the Europeans, like they do it so well. Like in Europe, I was just photos, videos. I'm like, that's awesome, that's awesome. Like, fuck, we should do that, yeah. we should do that. That is like incredible. Like, like, why can't we do that? But obviously there's a lot of rules and regulations that go on here than it is in Europe. But I guess like scoping out what other people do and trying to bring it back home is kind of what, you know, makes me kind of go, all right, well, how do we move forward trying to get the one step ahead before anybody else as well? How do you balance it? Because when talking to you and hearing you flesh it out more, it's really interesting because my head's just spinning on all the <laughs> different facets of the business and everything you must be doing. Obviously, you're an incredible businessman, but you probably also have to be the party boy too sometimes when, yeah. you're, when you're at the club. How do you balance the two between obviously clients, but you know, people that are going out or, or doing whatever. Yeah, look, I'm out every single weekend. Obviously, the wife, <laughs> but she's, in, she's, she's there as well. Like for me, it's, it's tapping into the new market that's coming through. Like these 18, 19, 20-year-olds are going to be the ones that are dictating the new music or who's hot, who's not, and what's going on. So us finding out, all right, well, where's the threshold on like what's going on is so important. Like to keep in touch is number one key. Like you're finding – Obviously now with TikTok and other ways of marketing, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's a new era. It's even sometimes over my head. That's why we employ like guys and people and girls going, right, well, what's a new facet and how we market and how we sell tickets? And it's a different from five years to 10 years on how I was doing it to what it is going to be now to the next six to 12 months in the future. But I mean, for me, like I love the music. I love going out. Obviously, there's the work to it as well. Like obviously, if the bar's not right, if the door's not right, I mean, I'm probably like, not a Nazi, but like like going through of like seeing like if that light isn't working properly or the sound isn't right or this isn't right or if this person's not serving quick enough. Like it's those one percenters that I'm like, fuck, we got to get on it. We got to get on it because the hospitality experience is an experience. Yeah. And that's what sometimes I think everybody kind of forgets as well. Like when you go to a restaurant, you want want a nice meal, you want this, you're, you're paying for an experience as well, like for what the food is. So when you're coming to a venue or one of our events or whatever it is, if you're not getting a good experience, like these days with social media and people bad-mouthing it out, like you see it. So I'm, I'm all for that. If the door person isn't right, well, you know, go home. Yeah. You know, if you're having a bad day because you had something going wrong at, your, at home and you're coming, you're coming moody, well, it's going to set the tone before many people walk through. So all these little things and like, you know, we just go, we do the rounds every weekend. You know, we go from Electric to Emerson to Circus or Reva. Oh, really? Whatever it is. Yeah, we just go around every night, just wow. move, move around all the boys, all the owners and everyone just kind of moves around in different areas. And, and do you have to chat to certain like people that are spending a lot of money or? Yeah, like, I, like, to... I, I like, like, love looking after our VIP clients and making sure like, especially if there's someone that's coming through spending, you know, whatever it is, you know, it could be 500 bucks. Yeah. You know, to me, if somebody spends $500, that's a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. You know, like it's, you know, we've never grown up with money. So these people spending 500 bucks to $10,000, it's, it's the same experience we want to give them because sure. they might be coming up for the first time being an 18 year old kid with their booth and <laughs> spending 500 bucks, but that's all they can afford. We want yeah. to give them the same love and experience as someone who's spending $10,000, do you know? So yeah. yeah, obviously we've got our clients and people walking through that have certain bartenders or certain drinks or they like their drinks poured a certain way and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, it comes hand in hand and you get to meet a lot of great people too. Yeah, I mean, of course. these guys that are spending great money obviously have great businesses and, you know, great wealth and, you know, great mentors and people that I learn and go, you know, I'd love to you know, strive to that as well, you know? So yeah, it's, it's definitely opened up the books to a lot of things. So you get all these people through the door as an eighteen-year-old. Is it chaser? Is that what it chasers? Yeah, chasers. So you, you, you're doing that. You, you, your mum and dad approve. <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, they go, "Yep, you know, um, we know exactly what he's doing." And Trav's, Trav's, you know, he's been a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
all of a sudden the passion and the understanding of how everything runs through events and the nightlife of hospitality, you obviously go, all right, I'm going to go and I want to make this my career. Yeah. So then what was the next step after that? You went and did a course, you said it in yeah, event I was management? Doing, I was doing a little bit of event management course and it was just the school actually loved me because I was actually like exceeding like all their expectations <laughs> and running all these events and clubs and I was actually teaching them one or two things. And funny enough, the lady who taught me, Abby G, ended up, he's now working for me. So like, it's funny how wow, like the times yeah. have kind of like yeah. turned, you know, she's our safety and event officer. And, but yeah, just doing all that and just kind of fell in, started club hopping and did a few things at different events and kind of started running my own events and go, all right, having a couple of little wins and we go, oh, you know, made a little bit more money and kind of did that. And then obviously take a little bit of a loss on one or two things because they just didn't sell or whatever. So I was just kind of learning, all right, this is kind of a cutthroat kind of industry on, you know, do I want to pursue this? And then, um, yeah, started running some more events and then the opportunity came to take over Marquee in Sydney and do the artist and programming over there. So yeah, I took the plunge and literally applied for the job uh, through Timmy Trumpet, um, wow. who recommended me. And then um, literally got a phone call saying, hey, you got the job and hey, can you come next week? And I'm like, I don't have a place to live. And I literally lived in the casino for a month. Really? So, yeah, they just put me up, lived me in the casino for yeah, a month. Hey, you wouldn't want to leave. Nah, <laughs> I had room service, I had a maid clean my place, obviously. Yeah, guys still haven't found a place. Yeah. yeah. Travis, it's been 12 months. Struggling, struggling. <laughs> but that was awesome. I've never worked at a, at a venue, a nightclub that is so on point. Like the staff, the credibility, the way the presentations are done, the artists that were coming through, the celebrities and mm. whatever it might be, that place was the best four and a half years of my life. But it, it was hard to live away, you know, like it was, you know, you don't really have much friends over there. I was new to Sydney, had a couple of close friends, but, you know, during the week not everybody goes out. So you're at home by yourself, you're working. But while still in Sydney, I still had all my Melbourne stuff going on. So I was still running venues, still running clubs, I was still doing the weekly kind of stuff with my partners. So I guess the train kind of kept going and I was flying back kind of every second weekend, kind of Sunday and then flying back Monday to just kind of, Keep wow. making sure that it kind of yeah. – and that was like every second weekend. Keeping or, things afloat. Yeah. yeah. Literally as the club finished on a Saturday or Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, I was on the first flight out. Wow, like geez. came friends with like the Virgin staff because <laughs> they're like, you just finished from <laughs> the club. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, I just finished, got to go home. And then 6 a.m. on a Monday morning straight back so I can get back to the office and be in time. And that was for like four years like on and off. But I just knew that the time in Sydney was always going to come to an end. I couldn't leave what was going on in Melbourne because I built that up. Sure. And if I f just forgot about it, well, no one will really remember Trav from Melbourne. So, um, yeah, that was like a good four years. My network, everything just went from here to here when I took that job. And agents, artists, you know, tour managers, this, that, that black book just became – because I was looking after them all. So when they come to Sydney, whether it was their dinners or this or that or they wanted a boat or whatever it might be, that was just – go see Trav. So yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. So then when do you take the plunge in your first actual investment and buying into and which, which venue was it? And yeah, when? Yeah. So when I came back after that, my partner, Ash, who was already a, a owner of Billboard in the city, which has been around, mm -hmm. you know, forever and a day. Yeah. And it's, it's a solid venue and it's, it's an amazing live music venue as well. Yeah. There was an opportunity to buy in on that and I bought, you know, just 10%, but it was a good kind of learning curve of, Hey, cool. Well, you know, you bought in, but like, you know, got to bring that bank bank account up to a certain it wasn't just you know money going out every week in our back pockets or anything like the fridge might break one week or the gas pipe might break or the screens aren't working or we're investing it's just owning a nightclub isn't as glamorous as i think what people kind of feel when constantly things are going you know break, breaking and stuff like that but it was it was a good learning curve it was a really good experience and well, what does when you say 10 percent? if you own 10 percent in a nightclub especially like billboard what does that <laughs> 
what what is your responsibilities then like I don't even know how to frame this question when you're having discussions and meetings during the week about things like you mentioned things going wrong but like what's your say how much influence do you have yeah I think it was like everyone had their input like it didn't matter if there was five percent ten percent twenty percent I mean when we had our management meetings everybody sat around the table and what worked and what didn't work like from the previous weekend yeah okay. from the previous week. so it didn't matter like on ownership on what level or mm. if somebody owned 90 percent or whatever it is even when we do our shows and other partnerships and whatever we all sit around a round table it doesn't matter everyone's input is just as important as yeah, the guy cool. who owns majority that doesn't matter like sure. we're all equal otherwise it wouldn't we none of us would be sitting on this table so at the start i just kind of like had to find my feet a little bit like you know just that new even though we all knew each other and we're all friends and we did shows together it was just like all right well this is what i think might happen or my, my experience from other things or hey we did this at marquee or we did this at another club and i guess yeah input's input and you know i'd rather have a say than kind of not and if it works it works and if it doesn't well how you try it, eh? Yeah. And, and I'm sure there would have been some butting your heads at times. Oh, yeah. We always butt – like everything we do, we butt heads. Like, yeah. you know, no one ever sees equal on, on everything. We've all got the exact same goal to do in a great event, sell tickets or whatever it might be. But, you know, at the end of the day, between how many people are in a room, someone's got to have an argument or a say on something or agreement on this or this or whatever it might be. So compromise, I guess, is – Mm. is the key but at the end of the day we all walk out and give each other a hug and yeah yeah you know well it's ultimately because you all care and you're like what you said you want you want this place to be the best it can yeah and that's and it like in the game. Yeah, yeah we're we're i mean we're all family people everyone i work with has a family you know it's just we put our houses on the line it's it's a hard slog you know one minute you could be the hot spot next thing you know you could come down or whatever it might be and hospitality isn't isn't easy you spend a lot of money and you hopefully try and get that reward but yeah we've all got that end goal to kind of like make something out of it we grew up in mornington yep. the peninsula and in mornington when we were growing up there was two main nightclubs now it's a bit different but there was the bay which is now i've changed its name i can't remember what it's called now Same. but there's a bay hotel and then there was uh cruise yeah that was my and, favorite <laughs> and the thing was in, in the five or six years that we lived down there growing up there seemed to always be a shift so for like a year, a year and a half, one of those nightclubs would just be popping. Everyone would go there and the other one would be dead. Yeah. And then it would kind of flip for a while and then it would flip back and it <laughs> kept like doing... In your eyes, what makes that kind of happen? Like you mentioned at the moment, Emerson is absolutely pumping. Yeah. That's what everyone's talking about. Why is that the case and why why might be some other venues not doing so well at the moment and eventually will flip? Yeah, look, I think with Emerson, when we came in, I mean, we I think we bought that during COVID the team that kind of came through. But I think there was always an end goal on having the right team with the right venue. And obviously Chapel Street right now, it's probably what it was like 10 years ago where it seems to be like the hotspot a little bit. There's a lot of people going out there and, and kind of – so this venue was like ready to kind of go. It just needed the right love. Emerson's always been around and mm-hmm. it's done amazing, you know, for what it has been and stuff like that. And obviously it had a bit of a dive. Like, you, you know, there was no regular Saturday night. Functions were absolutely killing it because it had the rooftop. But club was non-existent. So – I guess we kind of came through with the right mindset, with the right team. You know, we spent $2 million on a renovation on it. And I guess from our side, and we're constantly just, you know, still renovating. We don't have it to where we want it at the moment. But I guess the team had that vision on where to kind of make it. And, you know, to to credit to the the teams right now, it seems to be the hotspot, Um, you know, from the right influences, the right teams, the right DJs, the right music, atmosphere, bartenders, booth service now. All those little 1% which we kind of talk about is kind of where, you know, what's, what's making it. Unfortunately, I've never experienced booth service, right? No, Neither. I gotta, you guys <laughs> have to do a Saturday night with me and I'll take you around. Yeah, 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 we'll, we will we'll, take you we'll up get, on that. We'll get Zed. I know he doesn't <laughs> party, oh, but we'll get him right. back. But what, and I know there's probably a few people listening, what 
What does it entail? And I know you, it probably depends on the, how much you spend and, and what have you, but yeah, what would a typical booth or bottle service, whatever you want to call it, you, you picture movies in Vegas. That's what mm. I picture. Yeah. You know, what, what, is it, what is it? I mean, look, it's a, a normal booth service is basically like a sectioned off area with couches or seating area. comes with your prepackaged alcohol, whether it's vodka, champagne, whatever it might be. And it gives you entry, obviously, as well. And obviously, whether it's sometimes some venues have food, whether it's a fruit or whatever it might be. But it kind of gives you that element of like, okay, this is my space. You know, like I'm, I can sit down. I'm, I'm in a prime position, whether I'm overlooking the DJ, I'm in a prime area. But I guess... I've also got a waitress as well pouring my champagne or my drink and having that extra service of what kind of makes it. So instead of, I guess, just going as a normal general punter, lining up to get a bar, you know, a drink at the bar or whatever it is, you know, you're walking through, you're ushered through, you know, you might come out, the girls might have, if it's your birthday, you come out with your board, your presentation. It's all about Instagram, isn't it, these days now, yeah. and TikTok. So all that of like making stuff go viral is like, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I was at Marquee, I've dressed up in panda outfits and <laughs> other bits of monkey suits. Like it's all systems go. Like yeah. someone's just ordered 20 bottles of Dom and they want someone in a monkey outfit. Cool, you're on the chats. Who's, <laughs> yeah. who's free? All right, I'll go. Let's Chad, go. Wow. He's the monkey suit. You know, like CO2's <laughs> coming out. Like it's just, it is what it is. But um, I guess these are what makes that Vegas element and we try to like kind of bring it back here. But yeah, I, I always say if you want an experience with a group of friends that want to make it, by the time you walk in, pay entry and buy X amount of dollars in the bar, you better off buying a booth. Yeah. Like it just True. makes sense between 10 or 12 of your mates or True. 15 of your mates by the time, you know, someone tries to pick up a girl or you've got a couple of your mates or you want to invite some girls to your so booth. So it helps. You know, <laughs> like it does help, you know. You know, the ratio of hooking up is a lot better than it is. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like when you do the maths on it, you know, that's why I try and educate like people like, oh, I've got a group of 10 kind of guesses. I'm like, oh, I always try and sell them a booth not because we want to try and make the money out of it, but it's more so, hey, you're going to get a better experience. And by the time you know, you come to the front door and you're waiting in line or whatever it is to get in. It just, it just makes more sense. What, in your opinion, would be the outside of Melbourne, the best party city in the world that you've experienced and why? Uh, party experience. I mean, Vegas is on yeah. kind of another level. But, you know, I went to Europe this year and Europe, I think everybody's, everybody was there in Europe this year. Yeah. It was yeah. like literally <laughs> Except <Australia>. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Europeans just do things different. The culture, obviously the rules and regulations are a lot different. You know, they just do things different. Obviously, there's so much table service and, and, you know, things like that. But, you know, they're going out at 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, 11 o'clock at night, or they're eating dinner, late night curbside dinners, restaurants. And whereas here, you go out in the city and nothing's open. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, it's crazy. Like, you know, think of like, you know, 24-hour flight or whatever and you're in another country, how they do things completely different. And mm. everybody that comes over says, or when they go to a festival overseas, why can't you do it like that? I'm like, well, A, our cost of labour is... Mm. 10 times more expensive but be like our rules and regulations like you know or no one wants to go out we don't have the population like trust me we'd love to be open seven nights a week and have our venues pumping like it just makes more sense so mm. yeah but I th oh, japan was crazy as well japan's nightlife and like the japanese like they party hard yeah. um, they love their shots they love their bottles but yeah just the energy on those guys because i think there's a little bit of what i've found out in japan is there's a language barrier that's why i don't like hip-hop so much but, oh, they, okay. but they love electronic music because they can relate to the beats and yeah. kind of everything that goes by. So Skrillex just played, you know, Ultra Japan when he came on. I've never seen anything like it. Like it was just these guys were just – this crowd was just electric. And I was like, this gives me motivation to come back and do things in Melbourne and like let's go. Wow. Yeah. Imagine the names in his phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. We, we, I think of going out and, and we had someone actually on the, on the show probably a couple months ago now and – there's always, unfortunately, sometimes there is, it's usually at the front of nightclubs that there's something, if, I don't know what it is, but 
I'd love to know your opinion on basically the king hit culture. Yeah. Because we had someone on about, yeah, nearly two months ago, Blake, great bloke, he, but he was based up in Queensland and he explained he got king hit and he was out the front of a nightclub or a pub up there and he just he shared his story and it, and it made me just think about obviously, you know, it, it makes you sometimes second guess going out. Yeah. And, I know, and I know it obviously it does for a lot of people because you want to obviously be safe and whatnot, but... As a, as a club promoter and an owner, how do you go about situations like that when you know in instances there could be violence out the front of nightclubs, within nightclubs, there's alcohol, drugs sometimes involved? Like, how do you go about those instances being the top of the chain and having to control it? Yeah, I mean, you know, safety for us, whether it's our music festivals or clubs, is number one. You know, we spend so much money, especially our music festivals. We always meet with police, ambulance, St. John's, whatever it might be, the venue to go, all right, well, what measures do we need to put in place for people? People are going to take drugs. You know, yeah. it is what it is. But in regards to, like, I guess the King Hitting, I mean, the culture, you know, it's kind of changed a little bit, obviously, in Melbourne. But there is there's always going to be one decade. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, you know, our door staff, it's not easy being a security guard at a front door. You know, you stand there one night, whether you're a door girl or this or someone, the amount of abuse that they cop or people walking past or because you're knocking back people for whatever reason because they're intoxicated, like, you just got to be cool, like, you know, calm. But there comes to a point where, you know, they do need to be physical to move people along for the safety of the rest of the patrons that are in line. And their safety. And their safety. Like, you know, I don't want to be standing out there going, well, knocking back a guy who's drunk, who's six foot tall, you know, who's got 10 of his mates because we don't want to let 10 blokes in and then all of a sudden it's going to be on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there needs to be stricter rules in place from the top, you know, for that to kind of channel down because at the end of the day, we can only do so much. You know, we move people along off the street. We stay there. If people are intoxicated, we give them bottles of water. We make sure people get in Ubers correctly. Like, so our team is always on point to try and do whatever they can to kind of make sure, like, people have too many drinks on the way out. Where's your Uber? Cool, just wait here for two minutes. Get them in the car. I've seen countless times where our security guards have walked girls into an mm. Uber just to make sure, or walk them across the road to make sure they get into a car properly. But that's service on us. But it's also like, I guess... The, them being homebodies and just being gentlemen as well and going, cool, well, you know, we do with a lot of shit, but at the end of the day, we just want people to go home and be safe. Yeah. We want to come back tomorrow, do this all again. We don't want someone to be hurt, injured. I don't want to have a death on my conscience. Yeah. Mm. You know, whether it's a festival or a show. I mean, I've seen some bad stuff in the medic area where people, you know, have taken too much and shit's going on and life support's in action and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's something that you don't want to kind of see. But unfortunately, it goes with, the culture of you know nightlife you know yeah. people are either going to take too much drugs or they've never taken something before and weather plays a huge part in music festivals you know so it's just like there's all these kind of measures that we try and put in place but unfortunately if something's going to happen it's sometimes it's, it's, gonna, always, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to happen yeah, but um it's yeah inevitable, it's, it's terrible it? i mean yeah. we, we definitely we hate it we don't want anything at our venues or i don't even want it at anybody else's venues because it has a flow-on effect on all of us because if something's in place or whatever it is, it just kind of has that flow and effect, which means more measures, more costs, more this, more that. And then I guess we get scrutinised as well, yeah. you know. As well, we're trying to do the right thing. Like yeah. We always have more security than we need to have more security on the door. So like or inside the venue just to make sure that everybody is safe. So, yeah, it's, it's always a topic. We debrief at the end of the night. We debrief during the week with our security guards, what worked, what didn't work. I mean, we've got security cameras left, right and centre as well. So on, the, on that too though, like it's unfortunate – because it's like it's not like it happens every night and it's always there but the media love the negative yeah. stuff so yeah. they're going to they're going to grab a headline from the bad thing that happened oh yeah of course and look unless you're you know 
the Grand Prix, the VRC Melbourne Cup or, or anything like that in a lot of other aspects, they're not writing positive about an iClub unless it's a launch that someone's doing it at Influencer or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, look at Collingwood. They went to Emerson and they went to Osborne on the weekend and it was party time and it was all great and it was all in the papers. But, you know, if there's something negative, they'll, they'll write it out. They're always trying to catch a story, you know, and then I think that's what's a sad thing. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just hospitality. We're just people having yeah. an escape for people to come out to a bar, to a club, to meet a girl, to meet a guy, whatever it might be, just to have some fun. Yeah, cool, people might drink too much or whatever it is. But, yeah, the media just – if it's something then – but then there's also a lot of positives that the media write too. I mean, they've written a lot of great stories about us and what we've done and, we, you know, we invite them down to our launches and, you know, when we took over Reva and whether it's even Ultra as well, they're writing about it. So I guess it goes hand in hand. But when shit goes bad, yeah, it's just like shit goes bad. Yeah. yeah. We took this show over to the UK – Nearly two years ago, we worked out this morning, which is a bit scary. But we, we <laughs> it's were, actually quite sad. We're over there <laughs> yeah. for um, the launch at the start of 2022. Was it 2022? Yeah. yeah. And our friends in London decided to take us out to this nightclub in in London. And off we went, and we we straight away we went in there. And we're like, oh, we don't really love was it. Was this the New, year, New Year's? New or? Year's. Yeah. yeah. And we saw we saw this guy, and he was a big bloke as well, absolute fuckwit, six five, something like muscly as, and he's clearly going around to like trying to intimidate girls and yeah. get them to take stuff. And then we saw this girl totally like pass out on this chair to the point where she just like flopped. Paralyzed. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then suddenly out of nowhere, like four guys run in as in like security and they've like picked her up and they've taken her to some back secret room to obviously deal with it. How do you, like, how do you deal when something like that that's totally out of your control happens? Obviously you've still got, I mean, this happened like midnight. They're going to be going till 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. They don't want it to ruin other people's night. How do you deal with situations like that when somebody either gets sick or... Gets too loose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, we have procedures in place, whether it's like let's take them to the office, let's take them back door, let's get them some air, whatever it might be. If they're drug affected, you know, do we need to call an ambulance? Like they're the top kind of things. Obviously, all our majority of our staff and managers and all that kind of stuff are all first aid trained and all that kind of stuff. So we've got things in place that, okay, well, if a decision needs to be made from the venue manager, the head of security or whatever it is. But if somebody's like passed out in a couch or whatever it is, we do, guy or girl, we kind of pick them up. Hey, guy, you know, make sure they're are they conscious or they're not. And then it's like, okay, well, we need to take them either to the office or to another area away from the public eye to kind of see, well what's going on just to make sure their safety is. And if it is to the point of, you know what, this is getting a little bit out of hand, we don't know, you know, are they really bad? Then we, we do call an ambulance. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Like, it's very rare. It must but be hard, yeah. Like, Yeah, I mean, you don't want to, because obviously they look at you, not in a negative way, but what's going on, you know, you know RSA and all that kind of yeah, stuff. You yeah. know? But if somebody preloaded before they got to the club and, you know, decided to have 10 drinks before they got in and they're a lightweight and then had one drink here, you know, sometimes it's out of our hands. We can only manage what we can manage. Hundred percent. You know, and that, and that's the that's the only thing. Going to more the music festival side of things. Music festivals, I love them. They're good fun. I haven't been to heaps, but the ones I've gone to, like, I, you know, you get in the car, you go on for the weekend, you pack your pack your car, and you're you're with your mates. What goes into not only like putting a festival on because I can imagine it just being just one of the most complicated, complex. Yeah. Like uh, when you think about it, logistically over you know a day or even multiple day events. But I'd love to know even the talent aspect, like how does it go about booking talent and making sure they're looked after and just the logistics of everything. I don't know if that's a specific enough question, but it's yeah, just, yeah. It's, there's so much to it. Yeah, music festivals is, I love it, but it is a lot that goes kind of on with it. I mean, you're starting off with going, well, the perfect date, what's a fine date, you know, in between. And then it's like, well, you might go after an artist and he's not available on that date. So you try and find another date or the right, or that venue that you wanted originally isn't the right venue. So... 
I mean, there's there's so much kind of back work that kind of goes on. So we kind of just get the pyramid out and go, right, date, venue. Do those line up? And then who's our hit list on artists? And then it comes to a negotiation. I mean, there's probably about 10 to 15 players in Australia that are constantly going after similar talent yeah. to what you are. So True. who you want to go for? You write that email to the agent. This is what is, is the artist available? And they write back, send the offer. You know, like, right. okay, cool. Really? Well, this is what we can afford to pay. And they're like, no, thanks. Or they write back and they fill in an offer sheet and you're spending all this time and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, there's been months and months where I've spent so much time on an artist and I think, oh my God, we've, we've got it guys. And then they've come back and said, no, thanks. And I'm like, we've just wasted three months, four yeah. months. Like, but that's just the nature of like artist agencies on trying to find, you know, everybody wants those hitters to sell tickets. And, you know, we're not talking, you know, one, two dollars anymore. We're talking, <laughs> yeah. you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars a show. You know, I think the most that I've paid artists for, for our festival is like a million US per show. Wow. You know, and obviously the dollar being at like, what, 63 cents. It's, Jeez. You know, you're talking like nearly one, four yeah. Australian. And then it's transfers. Visas, logistics, private jets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. that would cost a lot. Yeah, they're riders, yeah. and it's yeah. like ad, ad, ad. And if you don't yeah. know what you're doing, agents can get you caught out. So like, yeah, you really got to know, so like, true. cool. Well, this is the landed offer. This is what it is. Does it include a com? Taxes? Does it include withholding taxes? Like, who pays the government? Like, there's a lot of things that go on, you know, in doing that. And then obviously, when they're here, you know, they've got an entourage of 20 people. Yeah. So they're like, cool. I've got to, I've got to look after 20 people. I've got to get vans, cars. And you're sorting out logistics for like, okay, guys, lobby calls, this, that, or somebody's missed their flight or the artist wants to take their time or they found a girl. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, like there's a whole thing of like when the shows are actually going on to like, okay, well, all the pre-work on venue, production, bump in, bump out. I mean, if you look at us for Ultra this year, we had the most beautiful week leading up to it. The day before was amazing. The day of rained like 30 mils of rain. <laughs> The day after, no rain. Of course. And I'm like, yeah. like, you serious? Like, yeah, the festival then, gods. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, people, and like, I'm so emotional on that kind of stuff because like I look online, read comments, this, that, and, you know, I'm so, obviously I'm so invested in it. Sure. Like people are like, oh, you know, the rain, this. I'm like, well, what do you want us to do about it? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like every artist came, the production was on point. Like everything worked to a T. Like, you just think, got wet. Do you think I wanted to rain 20, 30 meals? Like, you know, I was the one that was like knee deep in, you know, water and soaking and freezing cold. And, you know, it takes out like six, seven months of the year of working on a show to have one bad day of rain. Like, yeah. And it rained like seven days in April this year. And it just happened to be that day it rained the most. So, you know, obviously like you can never pick the perfect day. It's no. either going to be like too hot, too cold. I mean, sometimes you get really lucky and stuff like that. But I mean, we've done shows in summer that it's rained and it's like February. Yeah, yeah. true. You know, and it it's happens. just like, it happens. But I guess it just comes down to like, you know, delivering the show. Yeah, if somebody pays, wants to see an artist, you do everything in your powers to make sure the artist gets here. You know, there's been times where one or two, I think we're only being unlucky like a couple of times where an artist can't come through to a family emergency or something's might have happened or whatever it is. But mm. yeah, I think, you know, you deliver on what you promise come out for sure i was just gonna ask about that scenario if an artist pulls out for whatever reason what's the agreement then because if you've sold tickets on the base that so-and-so is gonna play and then suddenly they don't i'm not like whether they're headliner or not yeah is there like a clause between the contract between you and that agency you're working with if in the event that they actually pull out and ticket sales are affected or people want their money back how does that yeah work? there's a lot of i mean that sounds Contra like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Contracts are always going to be in favour of like obviously artists. Sure. I mean, but there's these guys that we kind of work with and obviously the bigger talent. I mean, if they were to pull out, they kind of know it's on them, you know, if, yeah. if they're sick or whatever it is. But I guess with a music festival, it might be, it's a little bit different because you might have 13 artists 
14, whatever it is, as an example, and if someone pulls out, the show still kind of goes on. Sure. But I guess if Taylor Swift comes out yeah. and Taylor Swift cancels, a lot different than the show can't go on. You know, it's yeah. not like we're, oh, we're getting a Taylor Swift impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you can still do the show and make it kind of happen. Yeah, um, you can't just call in Kiss like the AFL did. Yeah, yeah. so um, I guess they're the kind of little different things that like, but at the end of the day, if you've solely banked, you know, even on a music festival and you've got that one or two big heavy hitters and one person sells out, I mean, you still, to a degree, got to try and do the right thing because people will still get pissed off and go, well, fuck, you know, I only wanted to come see that person or can mm. I get my money back? I don't know. It just, you got to try and find that mutual ground because you're always like, all right, well, we're doing this for the long term, not the short term. If we want to come in for a cash grab, it's don't worry about it. It is what it is. But because we want to come back another five, ten years, you know, if somebody's that disheartened because they're not seeing that particular artist and that's all they wanted to come and see, take every case on its merits, I guess. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of people have watched this, and I know you would have hands down, but the, the documentary Fire Festival, right? Yeah. Like you think of, when I think of a music festival, and we, we, we also interviewed someone, would have been a couple of years now, uh, Brian Torino from Mushroom Group. Yeah. He, he looks after all the merchandise, love police, the merchandise aspect of, of the Mushroom Group. And we, would, we talked about, you know, um, certain festivals and whatnot. But when you watch the movie, the Doco Fire Festival, uh, I forget his last name, but Billy, that guy. Yeah. I think anyone and everyone thinks just based on if you're an influencer or have some type of power with a following that these things are easy to put together. Right? Yeah, yeah. But the lack of, in that instance, the lack of respect <laughs> and... Have you seen it, by the way? No. <laughs> well, what I'm getting to with this is what is the hardest part about putting something like this on? In that scenario, like he, he he just didn't put he didn't put any of the of the what would you call them well, ticket holders. Not not one of them was front of his mind. It wasn't about them at all. No. It was all about money making and getting the biggest names, biggest acts, and then all the big names. I think he had Blink One Eight Two and all these big names, and they all pulled out like last minute and last minute. Yeah, I mean he had the he had the perfect scenario. He just had to execute the event, and he would have been you know running running goals and not do jail time. Um, you know, <laughs> he went to jail. Fuck. Yeah, like I mean, he sold out a festival without doing anything you know before obviously he got all the key influences Kendall Jenner's and whatever it was and they were posting about it and yeah. you know he blew up this festival bigger than what it is he just had to execute the thing you know what I mean but um I guess from our side of things we always look at it and go all right well who's the next big I mean we're talking like six to eight months on particular acts that we kind of look at so we're also trying to find who's going to be the next artist to grab now that's going to be hot in eight yeah. months time you know, See, if I booked, you know, tough. you know, like it's obviously there's always going to be the heavy hitters, but if I was to book Fred again six months before he blew up, I'd be jumping up and down and you know doing Taylor, you know, doing a Taylor Swift concert. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah you're, you're betting, like you're almost gambling. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're gambling. Like you think that you kind of create a perfect lineup, but sometimes it doesn't hit. And I guess that revolves me back going back to the clubs, being out every week because music's changed. Mm. You know, EDM is still in there and all that kind of stuff, but techno's made a huge wave through. House music's back. And it's like, okay, well, there's a new wave of kids coming through. There's a new wave of, of, of entertainment. There's a new music genre coming through. And I guess, like, if you need to kind of find it. I mean, look at Hardstyle. I mean, it just did 60,000 tickets on the weekend. One music genre. It's the biggest music show in one music genre. I mean, I'd love to do 60,000 tickets. It's like three ultras in one day. I'm like, that's nuts. Like, you know, Pete from HSU is a good friend. And it's just credit to him on what he's kind of strived for, for delivering in that music genre that nobody kind of wanted to touch. But now 60,000 tickets, you That's know? That's insane. I mean, we spent eight months' work doing four stages, different music genres, this, this and this. And we, you know, obviously, 20,000 tickets is a huge number. Mm. But, like, there's so much time mm. and effort. Like, I'm like this refreshing the ticket page 
every couple of minutes. Just we sold four tickets, we sold yeah. three tickets, we sold five tickets. Wake up in the middle of the night, people bought tickets. Like you're literally like on the tip of like your tongue of like, okay, well, where's that break even point? And as a promoter, it is so stressful. I'm surprised I still got a little bit of hair, but uh, it's just like <laughs> it's just like you're so stressed because obviously you're not just got one show going on. You got multiple shows, yeah. and you know you're doing shows and other bits and pieces, but you're constantly going, well, where's our break even point? And like obviously. If it doesn't hit that, well, how do you mitigate that? Because the show still has to go on. So work with suppliers. Do you change a little production? Artist bills is always going to be where your artist talent is going to be unless someone pulls out. But it's like, okay, well, how do we strategize on making this, deliver this show and not go bankrupt? I can't mm-hmm. even imagine what you're, what you're juggling all the time. I hate bringing this up because it's my, like I hate talking about COVID, but yeah. I'm interested to hear what you went through because you probably were hit just about the hardest. I mean, we've heard a lot of people that have been hit hard by COVID, obviously it affected everybody, but especially you here in Melbourne, that period must have, I would love to know how you even thought you were going to get through that period because yeah, it was so uncertain on when things would open, especially hospitality. Well, Ultra was the actual last festival in the world. Like, oh, really? We just finished Ultra and COVID was like full lockdown. I think because the Grand Prix closed, the Grand Prix was a week after us. And yeah, then the okay. Grand Prix yeah. closed on the Wednesday. We just finished Ultra on Saturday. Actually, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, because so there I was think a if lot everybody, of stuff if, in it. Yeah. yeah. I wish if everybody knew that this would be the last festival. <laughs> everyone would have been there, <laughs> yeah, mate. Like, I would have Our sales were like that yeah. last, you know, just to go out. But <laughs> The it, last hurrah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, literally like our sales were dibbling down. Like we lost a huge sponsor from China. Um, we lost huge bottle service, our table clients that we had huge teams coming from overseas, obviously getting in. Can we get into the country? Agents were calling us up going, are we allowed in? If we are, are our artists going to be allowed out? And we're like, we don't know what the hell's going on. Like, yeah. But got through that. But yeah, COVID was like very, very difficult. Like for anyone to say that they got through it easily. Like, look, the grants helped in a big way to keep staff employed, staff going through because finding staff right now is probably the hardest thing, you know, right now in hospitality, finding good staff that are committed and want to work the hours and all that kind of stuff. Mentally, I think after like, I think the second or third lockdown for me personally was like tough. Yeah. Like I'm like, all right, well, what are you doing at home? Like there's no point planning. There's no point this. Cause I still felt like, you know, in the first instance, like, all right, we're back. We're not back. Are we going to reopen? Then there was seating. There was no seating. Which was shit. You know, like, like, it, it sucked going out and being seated at a table and you can't, like I remember yeah. going out one night for, and they, it was like a bar yeah. like, that used to be like a dance floor and you stood up and someone came over, no, you can't stand up. Like can't unless you're going this, to the toilet. Like, it's not hospitality. It wasn't any experience. But I guess then there was certain times of like, there was bills that still needed to be paid. Yeah. You know, and what we try to explain to everybody was the train has stopped. Like the train of income, like everybody, like it's not just us, like, Everybody, but obviously, you know, certain supplies, you know, we're like, well, you know, some, you know, we need cash and this and that. And we're like, well, you know, then it just started like everyone had to fork in their own kind of personal money just to kind of ride the wave and just get through it. But then we just try to find new measures of how do we open and like when we could open, is it smaller? Is it, but the rules were just, you know, non existent. You know, you can do this indoors, you can do this outdoors, roof open, roof not. Like it was just, but it was just insane. But I guess for me personally, it was just, it was very daunting. Like, you know, there was days where I was just like, well, what's the point of waking up at eight o'clock or seven o'clock? Yeah. What's the point? I mean, we're not doing anything. No one's doing anything. No one's replying back to an email. And it just became like a habit of like, well, I'll go to sleep late. Who ca-? You know what I mean? It just, yeah, of course. It just became who cares? And then like there was a lot of times where I was like, okay, well, what's the next thing for Trav? Because if this just goes on for another year, all these venues are going to close the part. Everyone's just like going to go, this is too hard. Like 
we're out, I'm out. Like it's just mm. – so, yeah, but it was just it, – mentally it was probably the worst I've ever been in, in my life of like, well, where am I going? And like, you know, obviously my partner, she works at Commonwealth Bank, you know, they could work from home and it was, you know, different story and whatever it might be. But um, I guess for us and being a person that was always out yeah. to being stuck in, it was, that was very difficult. Like, you know, how many times can you walk to Coles? How many times can you <laughs> yeah. walk around the block? How many times can you like, you know, do this or, or whatever it might be? So, yeah, it was very, very, it was very difficult. And I guess, you know, if we ever went back, which I don't think we ever will go, but yeah, I mean... A lot of people, it was just more so like even just checking in on your mates. That's what it came down to in the end. Like mm. we were just doing Zooms just to check in on staff and people and let them know we're still doing this even though we didn't really have much going on. But just trying to keep staff going, hey, this is this is what we think of the light at the end of the tunnel or what's going on and always try and be ready for like when we did get a green light yep. to like go. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, I think the team had extreme difficulty, yeah. What's uh? This might be a really, really... <laughs> What's the most popular drink when you're <laughs> like at a pub and or at a bar or and it's just th- there's got to be something that you sh- constantly you're buying it all the time. Like, yeah, have, have a guess first. <laughs> oh, you'd have to say vodka. Yeah, I'd say yeah. vodka, vodka yeah. raspberry, surely. Yeah, I mean vod- vodka, <laughs> vodka cranberry, vodka, vodka is our biggest seller. Obviously, like fireball. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. everyone loves a good fireball. I mean, it, different venues have different kind of yeah. you know kind of things. I mean. I know when I was at Billboard, I know Fireball was huge, but at Electric, it's tequila shots, mm. you know? So I guess it's like a little bit different than, you know, everyone used to be like wet pussies and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Mm. Like, But, I mean, vodka, it's just, you know, you go through that, like, you know, it's like, like water. water. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. but um, except for the hard style shows, they drink a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, vodka. But, like, I mean different bars like electric's a cocktail bar as well so like you know people come in early you know they want their espresso martinis or the porn star kind of stuff and yep. kind of have a little bit more elegant kind of thing we do that at emerson on the rooftop as well so yeah i think different venues have different things but i mean i'm a vodka soda vodka lime yeah. soda kind of guy me and, too. yeah me you know. too next three of us as we sort of come towards the end of this podcast i'd love to know and i know it's always a difficult question but like is there one experience one memory that comes to mind in terms of like the craziest thing that you might have experienced in any of these venues that you own, like in terms, of, it could be who's come in or some, like I don't know, a fight that's broken out or just <laughs> some, just anything that happens in a in a nightclub. I think Drake was the biggest. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, he's still at his top of his of his game and all that. But I think when he came through, like it was kind of like maybe he's, I don't know if it was his first time or second time he's been to Australia. But I mean, just that was like if you look at the photos and the recap of that, I've never seen a room just so tight and just everybody going crazy, especially when he jumped up on, you know, Marky had really low roofs. So, yep. you know, for someone to jump on stage, they're kind of always kind of <laughs> bending down. But, like, it just was nuts. And his security guards were, like, arms bigger than, like, you could ever think really? of. But it was just, like, it was just a party. It was just it was just electric. But, you know, when we've done, like, you know, the Stereosonic, you know, when we've done all those Nova Red Rooms back in the day, you know, I've always been a fan of, like, Axwell and Ingrosso, having them play at the venue and all that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, a bit of fanger with Axwell. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, yeah, I guess they're the kind of memories that I look back going, they were the best nights, you know, with your group of friends, music's on point, everything kind of flows well. Mm-hmm. And the same as Ultra, you know, Ultra's like when it all goes well and there's not 20, 30 mils of rain and everyone's <laughs> yeah. having fun and you see, cool, you take that step back. Even when it's a club show, I kind of like take a little moment in every show that I do. And I've got a facet, every major event that I do, I buy a new pair of shoes. It's like... I don't know why. I just started it's that. It's a nice habit to have. Yeah, yeah, it's, good. it's a bit of a superstition. Yeah, because I do so many steps anyway. I just need yeah. that new kind of runner. So, like, I've got these shoes at home. But for some reason, I've got a superstition. So, like, every major event, buy, like, a new pair of shoes. 
But um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, every event I kind of like put the headpiece down and kind of just go, all right, sit back and just take it in. Yep. You know, just you just got to look at what you've kind of delivered. And I think people don't really understand of like the pressure and what really goes on and the stress mm. on day, the stress before. And it's only like that last hour where you're like having a drink and just after you like put all this together and go, fuck, you know, look what we did. You yeah. know, you took back, yeah. DJs are here, pyro's going off, everybody's having the time of your life. And, you know, that's my drug, you know, yeah. that, that's yeah. seeing everyone enjoy themselves and have fun is like my go-to of like, okay, this is why I wake up and every day and go, I want to deliver the best experience if I can. You're the go-to man. I'm sure you, you've learnt the skill of seeing through people. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, maybe touch on a little bit on, and if you're open to it, like I'm, I'm sure all of a sudden, you know, when you're the guy with the list and you're the guy with a little black book and um, you know the names, you've got the contacts, like uh, do you sense people change the way they act around you when things started going really well? Yeah, I mean, if a show's sold out, or whatever it is, I get the biggest anxiety because my phone does not stop. And yeah. you can't help everybody. I mean, when tickets go on sale, tickets go on sale, it's been on sale for six months and you, oh, I, I missed out on buying a ticket, I was going to buy a ticket today. And I'm like, been on sale for six months. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, your friends or people messaging or close contacts. And it's just, you know, people that want to buy a ticket and support you will buy a ticket, whether it's 20 bucks or $100, you know, you've got that core people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been nights where, you know, we've comped people entry, this, that, drinks, whatever it is. But when it's our big shows, we always try and go, hey, Help us. You yeah, know what I mean? Like we put definitely. a show on or it's a small capacity. Sorry, man. Like we can't help you tonight. Buy a ticket. Like don't get I like upset. That. Yeah. Like don't get upset. We're not doing anything wrong. We're just going, well, we've only got 400 tickets to sell. It's a break even of 380 tickets. Like we, yeah. we need every single space to sell tickets. But especially when a show is sold out, like your phone just does not stop. And it's just like sometimes it comes to the point where I just I just ignore it. Mm. Like I'd be rude. I'm, it's, it's, you know, you don't want to be rude, but I just can't do anything. And it just, you know – it comes to the point of like too much. Do you have an exit strategy for, or like how long do you see yourself? Because I can't imagine, like you mentioned, bouncing around from club to club to club every Friday, Saturday night. Like, do you see an age where you're like, I'm not sure I'll be able to keep doing this? Or, or <laughs> And if so, what do you foresee? Do you want to just be an owner from a distance? Or how do you kind of see, like looking 50, like 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years from now, like how do you? Do yeah, you, good question. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I'm very hands-on, yeah. so it's hard to kind of go. I reckon it would be tough for you, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard yeah. to give someone 100% control and go, all right, you guys run it. I'll just look at the bank account, or, you know, look at the reporting at the end of the night and, and that's it. Like it, there's certain things that need certain touch, you know, like whether you, someone owns a clothing brand or someone who owns something, like they've always got their own touch which yeah. has made it successful. And I look at the Tao group over in the US who are like, you know, Noah, who's a big, like he's one of my big mentors and I watch what they do and they're out seven days a week at their restaurants. They're always going to their launches because people know them for their brand. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, well, if we start a new venue and you're not there and someone comes to you, you can't be out every night of the week or every weekend, you know, but there's also been tons of weddings, birthdays that I've missed out on because it's important to me for being there. If I've got an artist or an international, I want to make sure that I'm there 100% because if shit goes wrong, I can either fix it or deal with it that way one way or another and smooth talk out of it or whatever it might be or – you know, there won't be certain clients that come through that buy a table. They're like, Trev, if you're not there, I'm not coming. So mm. I'm like, fuck. Like, yeah. It's been nights where I've been in bed. I'm like, babe, this person's coming to the club. Like, <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? It's 12 o'clock at night. I'm like, I know, but look, he's got to buy a table. Like, wow. And I'm like, shit. Like, oh. But there's only a couple for that. There's yeah. Only, there's only a certain people the that, big, yeah, yeah, the that are, or there's someone in town or an artist that want to go out. 
like I remember like younger when I was like having dinner with my mates and like Tiesto's crew called me to like, we want to go out. It's like on a Thursday night. There was a couple of venues open. Can you take us out? I'm like literally trackies, hoodie. I'm like, don't worry, I got it. Let's go. Set it all up, venues. But I was just like, that was like a 10 o'clock phone call and by the time they got to the club at 11, everything was set up, ready to go. And wow, I mean, my track is having a photo with him. And it's just like, you know, probably not the best look, but I was like, shit just goes on. You just got to be ready, you know? And I think that's why with the team that we've got, if something that comes through, like I'm always 100% confident, no matter what time, no matter what it is, yep. we can make it happen. Can you maybe just lastly touch on like the power of attention to detail? Like, so clearly a big aspect of you having the reputation you do is the care, but also the attention to detail and the consistency of it. But within your own network, like not only the importance of having the right contacts and building them over a long period of time, but like, well, is the attention to detail why you've been so successful, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, as an example today, I showed someone through the venue, but I came like an hour early and the venue was clean. Then I'm like, bring the guys up. I'm like, did we have the cleaners in? They're like, yeah. I'm like, it's not clean. Like somebody's walking through for a potential client, it needs to be 110%. Like, mm. there's still bits and pieces. The venue wasn't set right. Like, we're trying to sell a venue for another client, but this isn't the way we should have left it as well. So, like, all those little things, like, you know, whether there's food on the floor or drinks or whatever it is or glasses not packed up right. Or, I mean, you see me sometimes going around, I'm picking up glasses as well, you know, just from the floor. I mean, somebody falls on that or the busy can't get around because the venue's tight or yeah. whatever it might be. I mean, they can't be at all places at once. Like, it's just... It makes me no different than the bussy picking up that glass and putting it behind the bar. Like we treat everyone 100% equal. We're all on the same team. If I can help them out, they're doing an amazing job. But it just goes to the little detail because if that glass breaks, it's going to make his life more difficult. It could hurt some – you know what I mean? It has a flow-on yeah. effect. So I don't see myself as like this higher person. I'm like, oh, my God, like Trab, whatever. It's, it's all hands on deck. Mm. If I had to go upstairs and clean the toilets and I'll do whatever I need to do to yeah. make, make shit get done. Like I don't – I don't care about that. I just want everyone to have fun and enjoy the night and come back next week. We asked Zed um, when he was on the show, does he think that his staff would be intimidated by him or what kind of boss is he? Is he? How do you feel about that yourself? Like for people that work with you or for you, do you think they're in- intimidated by you? Are you a tough boss? Like, No, nah, I mean like I'm very f- easygoing. Yeah. I mean we've all, got, we've all got, someone's got issues, someone's got problems, especially in the world that we live in now. As long as like we get the job done, do you know what I mean? That's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I've always said anybody that kind of works or wants to work or get in this industry, this is not nine to five. No. If I message you at 11 o'clock at night because of something's come to my brain or something <laughs> for tomorrow, like, you know, sometimes like uh, we just need that response, sure. especially leading into a festival and a show yeah. that's something so big like, you know, agents are messaging. Like I always see myself doing a double shift because obviously – Nighttime to daytime overseas and stuff like that. So our nine o'clock at night is eight o'clock in the morning. So they're emailing us. They want to know what's going on, especially leading into a show. Uh, flight's done, visa's done, or where's this at, or mm. we need to change accommodation. You can't go, oh, I'll reply at nine o'clock in the morning. Like it, it doesn't work. So yeah. like as long as you've got that mentality of, hey, like when things get tough, we're all in this together. Like we can mm. have a break later on. We can high five when the show's over. But if I'm messaging you at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock or you're messaging me and you need an answer because you're doing your job and you can't do your job without me, I'll reply back. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So like, but during the day and stuff like that, like we all have fun. We all like, you know, do what we need to do. But as long as the job gets done, mm. that's all I want to do. Like I want yeah. everyone to enjoy themselves. I mean, we're in hospitality. I want to enjoy what you do because it'll make you better at what you're doing as well. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you might not do the right thing, but we just learn. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I learned. You know, we just learn on how we grow. And if you're not sure on something, just, just ask questions. I always say, like, just ask if you're not sure. Yeah. 
I'm not, I don't yell. Like, I'm not a yeller. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yelled at, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm definitely not a yeller. Well, Trav, mate, this has been unreal. I've loved it. I think we have to go out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, oh, I'm keen. I think we need a few drinks after this. <laughs> <laughs> need to drag him out. He's a tough man to get out, I, I feel. But, oh, uh, you reckon, well, I, well, I, I, reckon, I reckon we need, like, a little live stream on, like, a Saturday night. That with you guys. Can we do, can we just do that? filming it. I reckon, <laughs> yeah. need, like, I reckon let's start off from dinner. We'll go to Rossi. Then let's go to Electric. Let's go to Amazon. Let's just, let's do it. And then let's end up at Circus at five AM till the next day. <laughs> just you just just with me. I'm a lightweight, so I just got to pace myself. Yeah, Otherwise, it's, it's not right. going to be great viewing for the for the yeah. audience. But one thing I just want to acknowledge you for before we finish too. And this thought popped into my head early in the podcast, but I think it's really encouraging for people that are listening in terms of chasing their passion. Because who would have thought that? going out clubbing at 18 years old yeah. and, and just just being a promoter like would get you in the position you are today like you've followed something that you were you openly admitted you're passionate about you enjoy doing and now you've turned it into not only a career but a really successful one where you're actually making waves in the industry so i just want to commend you on that and i think it's a great motivator for people no matter what their interest is like it shows if you're passionate about something like no matter what field you can make it work yeah. because i bet you if you're at school and you say i want to be a, a club promoter like that is a unusual thing I'm yeah. guessing for people to, to hear so I just want to commend you on that no, it's amazing thank you. I mean done. like with everything in life like if you stick to it you know eventually you will get there yeah. you know there's roadblocks in every way of life you look at there's ups there's downs there's I want to throw this away and I've had that a million times especially during COVID like even when I was starting out like let's this isn't for me or how am I going to do this or I can't do this for you know 20 yeah. years or whatever <laughs> yeah. it might yeah. be but like you know I think if you give it 110% and if you want it and you just dedicate your life to kind of making something happen eventually the doors will open mm. you know and then you will get one little break and then a little break here i mean i tell djs all the time it takes one track yeah your producers like oh it's so hard to make it like look at someone like a will sparks like that guy's worked his ass off mm. timmy trumpet those are you know people that look out at these guys the australian dudes and you know fishers and all these guys and flumes like those guys if you actually see what goes on behind the scenes those guys are workaholics they're producing stuff they're working on their brand and concept but if you just consistently just work, it just takes that one track for it to go viral. And then nowadays with TikTok, social media, it's a little bit easier to make something catch on yeah. than it is when it was mm. 10 years ago. So if you can have that flow on effect and then when it does, just wanting to just, you just hit the ground running. But then I also say as well, you've got to invest in yourself. Sure. You know, like your time, your energy into yourself and what it might be. It's you, Nothing's more important than yourself. Yeah. You know, like there's sometimes, you know, me, for, for me, that outbreak is like, you know, for me, it's like, I've got to get back to the gym. I've got to have that like, okay, bit of physical, bit of activity, whatever it might be, just or spending time with my family. Just cool. Be, just come back down to the earth and just be grounded and go, all right, cool. You know, go see mum and dad and get, yeah. get the wog dinner and go, <laughs> yeah. you know, talk about your dramas and your troubles or whatever it is. And I look at them and I'm like, you know, cool. Well, you know, when I'm their age, I don't want to be where they're at. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to make something for one day for my family of like, be comfortable. Like use certain motivational areas or is it just your competition? Fuck, how did that guy sell 10,000 tickets? Well, how did that person do that? How do we get better? You know, I don't worry about what other people do. I've always got the blinkers on. I was like, let's just focus on us. Yeah. Because as soon as you worry about what everyone else is doing, you're just going to go, well, fuck, tension. They're just, they're not That's thinking right. about you. Yeah, no, no. You know, they're just, fuck, let's just get our own thing. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's just do our own thing and catch us on. True. Catch us on. You know, not everything is going to work in life. So, yeah, persistence is key. Love it. Hey, unreal. Looking forward to uh, <laughs> to the vodka. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank Love you so it. much. Thanks, I appreciate guys. it. Cheers.
D, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at DawsonD underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.